Hello and welcome to the KPMG podcast series for tax, legal and mobility leaders. As we announced in our last episode, we're focusing this podcast series on the ongoing global impacts of novel coronavirus, COVID-19. And we'll be looking at the tax and legal considerations and top of mind business issues that have resulted from this global pandemic. In today's episode, we're focusing on global trade and supply chain considerations. COVID-19 has not only disrupted lives and businesses, but it has put the spotlight on underlying fragilities in the global value chain that drives economies around the world, reinforcing the importance of businesses understanding their supply chain, developing and implementing risk management strategies, as well as having contingency plans in place. For this episode, we spoke to Doug Suvich, Head of Global Trade and Customs, KPMG International, and partner at KPMG in the US and Tim Sarson, Value Chain Management Partner, KPMG International, and partner at KPMG in the UK. When I caught up with Doug and Tim on the phone, I asked them to share their insights on the global impact of COVID-19 on supply chain planning and value chain management before the global pandemic, during the current situation, and what this space could look like in a post-COVID-19 era. Doug, Tim, thank you for joining us today. Hello. Hey, guys. Doug, can you set the scene for us by providing a snapshot of what global trade looked like before COVID-19? So when COVID-19 outbreak surfaced, global trade was already being disrupted more severely than at any point in our lifetimes. We were watching nationalism and protectionist protectionist policies spread across the globe. Tariffs were being used for negotiation levers and for retaliation like never before. Multilateral cooperation was giving way to unilateral free trade deals. And ongoing disputes led by U.S. and China were opening a widening east and west split in the overall world trade order. Tim, from your perspective, can you set the scene for value chain planning pre-COVID-19? In the world um, pre-COVID-19, it's fair to say things were already changing quite quite rapidly, and that's that was for a few reasons. Concerns about uh, sustainability and climate change have meant that, that massively extended um, supply chains and, and lots of global travel were already uh, starting to come under under threat or under challenge. People were operating more and more virtually, although um, it wasn't really reaching its its full potential, but it was starting to happen. And of course, uh, the companies that could reach customers digitally and and remotely were were, were taking a lead over traditional bricks and mortar uh, companies. So things were starting to change. And of course, over the last two, three years, we'd seen that the rise of geopolitics, um, of trading blocks fighting each other, of trade wars, uh, of things like Brexit as well. And so uh, everything was all poised for for a big change anyway before COVID-19 came along. So, Doug, coming back to you, what have you seen change as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic? So now we're we're seeing restrictions on exports, specifically of medical products. You're right, this includes all the the personal protection equipment. We're also seeing certain pharmaceutical products um, being restricted for export. You know, for example, India is restricting the export of of certain types of uh, of active ingredients within pharmaceuticals. In, in the United States, we're seeing manufacturers shifting production of medical equipment uh, through the use of the Defense Productions Act. We're seeing consumer demand is softening. So companies are now prioritizing savings over capital expenditures. We're also seeing that there's logistical challenges, right? The company's supply chains are being disrupted and it's causing slowdowns. And that's really highlighted the dependency on China that we've had um, as a world over the last, um, you know, decade or so. 
So it's just a little bit more challenging, and, and I imagine that it's going to cause even um, longer-term changes in, in, in global trade. Tim, what global and domestic supply chain impacts are you seeing and hearing about from organisations due to COVID-19? The immediate impact on supply chains and value chains is really industry dependent and even within industries, it depends on the the fact pattern of of the company. So to take a couple of examples, we've got retailers, particularly food retailers, who are finding that the the just-in-time delivery model that that they've been operating with for years just doesn't work when you've got an increase in 20-30% in your uh, overnight in in the the demand for your, your goods, particularly basic goods. The other end of the spectrum, I'm working with industrial manufacturing companies that um, have the opposite problem. Uh, They have massive invested uh, capital and manufacturing capacity, as well as storage capacity, which which costs the money just to maintain. Their demand has gone through the floor. So for those companies, the the, the problem is that they're uh, they're seeing surplus capacity. Um, If they're operating in certain industries where they can reconfigure what they're doing to to meet the needs of of this crisis, then then great. Obviously, there are a number of pharmaceutical companies that are looking to do that. But but if not, then they're they're essentially having to mothball their their operations. And that's very costly, both in in profit terms, but also in in cash flow terms. That's um, already leading to some crises in in, uh, some companies. Um, so it, it is a it's a bit of a diverse picture at the moment, and then of course on the supply side, in, in terms of people, sick leave, the ability of people to to either come into work, to travel into work, or to be able to work remotely. That's a whole that's a whole other issue because again, some companies are are just naturally set up to do that, and I, I would include us. You know, professional services are one of those where we we've been getting used to working from home, working remotely. For, for many years. Other companies, including white-collar services companies that, that just weren't, that were really reliant on people being in place, and those are being really disrupted uh, operationally at the moment. Their service levels are, uh, are going through the floor. So it's a, it's a mixed bag, but, it, but you know, one thing's for certain, things are not the same for, for pretty much for, for any industry or any company. Doug, do you think there are specific countries that are experiencing the greatest impacts, and, and what are some of those challenges they're facing? It's fair to say that the impact will not be concentrated to one country or one region, and, and that makes this a unique situation. Now, as, of, as of early April, the United States and parts of Europe were the hardest hit, right, including Germany and France. The, uh, the World Trade Organization, WTO, is expecting world trade to decline from anywhere from 13 to 32 percent in 2020, which is worse than the, the global financial crisis of 2008-2009. The World Trade Organization also predicts that exports from North America and Asia will be hit the hardest. Almost all all regions will experience uh, double-digit uh, trade declines. And even for other industries, consumer demand is, is softening in light of high unemployment numbers and uncertainty so that the purchases people would have made um, you know, three months ago are now being delayed. Tim, based on what you're hearing right now, which industries are seeing the hardest impacts? I went through um, a list actually recently, for, and this was for, for our internal planning purposes, just trying to work out on an industry sector by sector basis, where was most of the pain going to be felt um, and which, if any, sectors were actually going to benefit from, from this crisis. And, and the fact is, when you look down that list, 90% plus of sectors will be badly affected because even if you're not directly affected by lockdown, the world is going through a sharp, deep recession 
as deep and as sharp as anything we've seen in our lifetimes and just as bad if not worse than what happened in, in 2008. So you have to be pretty lucky not to be adversely affected by that no matter what industry you're in. How important is flexibility in having a good understanding of your supply chain as well as having contingency plans in place? Many companies learn during the, the US-China trade war the risks of being deeply tied to a single supplier or location. We saw a lot of importers start to move out of China or diversify in order to manage the steep tariffs. You know, COVID-19 reinforces that lesson. As of March, 75% of companies reported supply chain disruptions in a survey conducted by the Institute for Supply Chain Management, and this is likely going to increase. As, as factories in China slowed down, manufacturers with a footprint in other locations were better able to manage the impact and to continue to adjust to the virus spread. So for a long time, the focus for supply chain professionals has been on minimizing costs and reducing inventories, which often reduce flexibility. And we are now likely to see more emphasis on end-to-end -end visibility, using advanced technology like artificial intelligence and robotics to be connected to their, full supply, their complete supply chain, again, for visibility and for greater flexibility. Also, we may see, we may see a shift to reducing dependencies on physical labor through technology, robotics, and drones, the same way we had before. I think it's just going to increase more. And there will be increased cooperation with suppliers to create business continuity plans so that companies do not get caught in the same position that they are today with, uh, with goods not being able to, to cross borders and to, to get to where they need to be. And Doug, what opportunities and incentives are you aware of for businesses to support them throughout this period? So, from a trade perspective, many jurisdictions are suspending tariffs or deferring tariffs on imports used uh, to prevent the spread of the COVID-19 or to treat it. But in addition to that, like in the United States, there, there is a deferral process that allows, um, is applicable for companies that are in distress uh, to give them some flexibility on being able to import so they can sell and create revenue to be able to pay the, the, the tariff burden. So there, I think there are there is that out there, and um, many local custom authorities are also modifying import procedures, so there are no so there are less delays in processing goods. Similarly, in some jurisdictions like Russia, they're temporarily uh, suspending certain types of customs audits for less scrutiny there. So now's the time for importers to really assess their their tariff and duty profile and take a hard look at what strategies they're using to minimize and manage the impact of these tariffs. And, and personally, we've seen a surge in uh, duty drawback imp implementations globally. Duty drawback is where you import a product, you pay tariffs on it, and you, you export that product or something similar to it, and you can get your most of your tariffs back. Companies are realizing just how much money they're leaving on the table. So, um, you know, we are seeing a lot of activity in that area as well as other, um, you know, tariff management areas. And at a broader level, tax incentives and special purpose loans are also being offered to help companies, uh, you know, get through this, this crisis period. Tim, in times of disruption, we often hear of companies reinventing themselves. Are there specific industries where you're seeing this happen right now? I think it's really difficult um, to reinvent yourself overnight. If your whole business strategy was, uh, was pointed towards doing things in a certain way and you weren't really changing, uh, a crisis comes along. And it's actually companies like that that weren't already in the process of changing that are going to suffer uh, most from this. So uh, let me give you a, a couple of examples. 
when I was working on Brexit preparedness, and I, I worked across a, a number of sectors, I, I noticed that there were some companies that had greater diversity of, of supply. And there was also a difference between those that were sourcing um, or nearshoring their, their sourcing uh, and those that were that fully offshoring, and, as well as the difference between companies that have their own production. So they have control over the means of, of production and those that, that were outsourcing. Those companies that were, were a bit more diversified, they may have had a bit more fat on the, the bones, so they, they may not be, have been quite so optimised from a working capital perspective. But they're, they're more resilient now, and actually they're on trend, because that, that's, that's been what uh, companies have decided to do anyway, because of US-China trade war, because of, of Brexit, because of other geopolitical uh, changes. So uh, another example um, is this move from face-to-face -face bricks and mortar selling towards digital engagement, the digital engagement with the customer. That's not just e-commerce and, and people buying online. That's, that's everything from marketing, from the way that goods and, and services are, are bought and sold, but also everything else about it, the way that enterprise um, engages, not only with its customers, but also with its, its suppliers. We're going to see a big acceleration of that because what this has shown us is that you can't have a, a business model now that relies on individuals who are able to cross borders at will, who are able to travel wherever they want to, going onto sites and manually doing things. That was all. That was already um, not as cost effective as being able to um, sell and deliver digitally. I think the big difference now is, is some of the, the, the fear of going virtual, the fear of going digital has, has had to go away because that's how people have to operate now. So I think in the short term, that, that means the further triumph of the digital giants, the, the online uh, e-commerce platforms and so on. But in the long term, it means that, that everyone is going to pivot. And of course, some companies will do that successfully, some will move slowly and will be left behind. Doug, is the current situation putting new pressures on existing or pending trade agreements? And if so, how's that playing out? Yeah, so North America is still moving ahead with the United States, Mexico, Canada implementation, USMCA implementation. But there's far less momentum uh, than we saw before the COVID-19 crisis. Right? Companies realize that they have to be ready for the passage of this agreement and other agreements. It's on their horizon. They know they, know they need to do it. Uh, but their immediate concern has come off of that and moved more towards just managing through the crisis, making sure the base business uh, continues to operate and that they can pull in cash as quickly as possible or delay spending the cash. So in, in the long term, we may see a pivot to protectionism as companies try to rebuild and assess how to best protect their economies and their people, um, especially if another pandemic occurs. In the United States, the administration has previously said expanding and forcing FDAs would be a priority. Truth is not really sure how that's going to play out uh, with everything else that's going on, especially as we, we all start to look a little bit more inward. Uh, and, and bringing some of this manufacturing back to, uh, to local countries. So it's a little unsure. I imagine it's still gonna, we're still gonna push forward with free trade. Everyone believes that free trade is good, um, especially if done right with good deals. Um, but it just may not be the same priority that it, that it was before. Tim, what actions should procurement and supply chain executives take to minimize the impact of this pandemic on their businesses over the mid to long term period? In the, the short to, to mid term, you know, the focus is, uh, all on on cash, on survival, and and I think on on keeping in touch with with customers and with staff as well. Um, 
the danger with that sort of short-term survival mode, though, is that companies are being forced into quite fundamental strategic decisions, but doing it on a tactical timescale, deciding where to cut costs uh, in the supply chain or in sourcing, for example. Uh, you can make some, some quite bad decisions quite quickly. And so I think that's one of the important things is to have a view to the medium and the long term when making short-term decisions. In the long term, it, it's really reading the, the writing on the wall. But the future post-COVID will be more digital. We're going fully digital in many cases. The virtual organisation is here to stay. So, so we can't base, for example, our, our tax structure around the idea that we can um, fly a, a bunch of people into the right location, have all their meetings there, make decisions there, fly them back out again. Uh, and as well as that, supply chains are going to shorten. Um, to, to me, that's probably less about simply shortening the distance between the factory and the customer, and it's more about diversity, diversity of supply. This is what governments are looking at as well, not having over-dependence on one part of the world or, or one country for, uh, for, for key strategic products. And the same is true for a multinational. Tim, you mentioned diversity of supply earlier. How important is it that companies develop and implement supply chain risk management as part of their supplier relationship management strategy? I think it's absolutely critical um, that supply chain risk management is included in your supplier management strategy. That's across more than just not being over-reliant on, on one supplier. This is in where you're supplying from, it's on how, in how you're supplying, it's on the commercial flexibility in your, your arrangements. Um, this is one of the big things that I, I learned from, from helping clients uh, for a couple of years on, on getting prepared for, for Brexit. A lot, of, a lot of companies don't really have much of a deep understanding, if any understanding at all, of, of, their, of who their suppliers are, who their suppliers' suppliers are, and, and um, what the supply chains of their suppliers are. But just actually getting to, to understand what it is that you're managing is, is absolutely absolutely vital and, and that's got to be the sort of core part of a, um, a risk management strategy because risk is always it always has been here um, but this crisis has, has really shown it up as a uh, as an important thing that can't be ignored anymore and tim we're hearing that some leading scientists expect a second wave of the virus in in september 2020 and potentially similar outbreaks to happen in the near future what key learnings so far in this situation can you give to procurement and supply chain executives in order to be prepared for another disruption? So this is an interesting one. Will, will there be a, a second wave and what, what will it look like? I mean, it's pretty hard to, to predict what happens with, with COVID-19. What I would say, though, is even if there isn't a, a second wave, a, a lot of the good practice that, that procurement supply chain managers, that, that, that planners generally within businesses can, can learn from this crisis and put into practice after this crisis are, are equally applicable to other sorts of crises that will happen down the line. Because the, the fact is, this isn't the last time the world sees a, a global crisis. And there'll probably be another one within the next 12 months that's completely unrelated. So I'm not sure that you can necessarily learn how to respond perfectly to the next wave of, of the virus because we're learning as, as we go along. But actually just building in understanding of our supply chain and inbuilt flexibility in that supply chain is going to be good for all sorts of different scenarios. So, Doug, can I ask you for your thoughts on the future of global trade and the trends we can expect to see going forward after this crisis ends? So we do expect global trade to rebound, but it's unclear at this point how quickly. It'll depend on you know when the global economies can reopen and how they bounce back. But in the short term, 
there will be an increased pressure to manage and reduce costs. So we expect uh, tariff and duty savings opportunities to be a crucial component for many companies' business strategies, especially as tariffs become pretty significant costs these days. We also expect to see more governments designate products as essential and either requiring a certain amount to be produced domestically and or limiting exports. And this may lead to, to complicated export regulations, which require a company to understand how and why its products are restricted. And as, as mentioned, we anticipate that companies will seek a, a diversified supplier base as a result first of the trade wars. And now, you know, it's pretty evident the need due to the COVID-19 crisis. And um, we also expect companies to look uh, to, where there's, to where there's existing infrastructure to support production, right? So as they start looking how to diversify, moving towards where there is current infrastructure. And this is partly because resources and capital is really not going to be available to make large investments in truly developing markets. Personally, I think, I believe, and there's some speculation out there that Mexico may benefit the most in the short run. Of course, the shorter lead times for shipments to the United States as a result of the implementation of the USMCA. You know, and it also has a significant number of free trade agreements throughout with Europe, with the EU, throughout South America and Africa, which positions it. It's almost like a hub for free trade for companies. And again, it has a, it has a good infrastructure. And, and Tim, to wrap up this podcast, do you have any thoughts on what value chain planning will look like after COVID-19? I've talked a lot in this podcast about physical supply chains, about procurement and supply chain management, the physical side of, of things. Um, I'm a value chain advisor. Actually, a lot, well, the, the, the work that I do, a lot of that is actually about organisations. It's about where people put stuff, um, whether that's physical plant or, or whether that's headquarters, uh, where teams are based, uh, and so on. My prediction for value chain planning more broadly is that certain trends are just going to really accelerate. We're going to have to be dealing with and planning for virtual organisations where you have leadership um, scattered across a number of different geographies. We we will see shorter supply chains, we'll see more in-country manufacturing, the shorter the supply chain, the, the more you have to work to really think about what is the role of the above market functions in, in a business. Because if above market is no longer about uh, coordinating a global set of logistics and supply chains, um, it becomes much more about uh, pushing out a standard set of values, of brand principles, of uh, ways of working, of sort of operational effectiveness to each country, even if each country is, is physically operating a little bit more autonomously uh, than it was before. So we'll see a a change in how the markets and the above market work with each other. And we'll see, um, as I said, an acceleration of digital business models. So it was already the case that there was no such thing as a digital versus a non-digital business because every business is digital to to some extent. That's going to increase. That's really the only show in in town in the future. So We'll see far more R&D investment in digital technology, in software rather than hard engineering, another acceleration of a a long-term trend. We'll see far more customer engagement that is online as well. That allows us actually, in terms of value chain planning, that allows us to um, sell across border a bit more easily. But actually the corollary of all of this is, of course, tax authorities and governments generally, they're going to need to pay back the debts that they're incurring at the moment in, in order to bail out um, companies through coronavirus. And, and they're going to do that by raising tax and getting more aggressive uh, in certain areas. And in terms of taxes, what sort of actions do you think governments and tax authorities might take post-COVID-19? 
well, I, get, I would expect to see a lot more things like digital service taxes uh, pop up anyway, another acceleration of a, of a long-term trend. And they will probably start competing with each other for foreign direct investment as well, because they need to get investment going again to get their economies going. So I'd expect to see targeted grants, state aid, um, particularly in countries like the UK that is coming out of, of, of the EU and is, is really needing to sort of find its, its um, place in the world. So there will be new types of incentives. There'll be grants. There'll be um, heavier government involvement in infrastructure, in um, the way that businesses operate. Uh, it's going to be a new paradigm. Uh, for value chain planning, that, that just means that we have to do things in a different way. It, it, it's interesting. It, it's not sort of positive or negative. Um, it just means that it's a new paradigm that, that we're operating in. And it will be interesting to see how things evolve. Tim, Doug, on behalf of our listeners, I'd like to thank you both for your time today. It's been really interesting to hear your perspectives around the impacts on global trade and supply chain management as a result of the COVID-19 virus. Certainly there's a lot for business leaders to consider and work into their plans and practices as we move through this current situation. And I look forward to continuing this conversation with other KPMG leaders in the coming weeks. For more information and resources on COVID-19, visit home.kpmg forward slash COVID-19 tax and legal. Join us again next time and please email us with any questions you have about today's episode at tax at kpmg.com. And we'd also love to hear from you with any suggestions you have for future episodes. Thanks for listening.